0: the General Aid Minister Cases under case number 22-90341, Core Scientific, Inc. As always, if you make sure you record your electronic appearance, it's a quick trip to the website. You can do that at any time prior to the conclusion of the hearing. First time that you step up to the lectern, be it the real one or the virtual one, if you please state your name and who you represent, that really serves as a good point of reference in the event that a transcript request is made, and as always, we are recording using court speak will have the audio up on the docket shortly after the conclusion of the hearing. Uh we do have a number of folks who are on the line. I'm going to activate the hand raising feature just so folks aren't interrupted. If you know you're going to be speaking, if you go ahead and give me a five star on your telephone.
1: Conference muted.
0: Right, terrific. Who is taking the lead
2: this morning?
0: Ah, Mr. Shrock.
2: Uh, good morning, Your Honor. Mr. Shrock, uh, while Gatchel and Mangi's uh, proposed counsel for the debtors. Right, thank you, uh, Your Honor. Um, my uh, partner Winnie Berkovich and my colleague Alex Cohen are going to be taking you through where we are precisely on our new proposed dip but I thought it was worth um, just a general update to the court parties about where we are in the cases and give you a little bit of context for you know uh, where we are in these cases. Love to hear it. Okay. So, Obviously since we filed uh, we've seen a pretty dramatic Change in the uh, price of Bitcoin. Uh, Bitcoin was, you know, depending on the time of day you were talking about, the petition date right around 16,500, 16,8. You know, as of this morning, somebody will correct me, but I believe it's, you know, it's been hovering around 23,000, um, which, you know, depending on your math, you know, 35 to, you know, 40% uh, increase in the price uh, from the petition date. Uh, I think that. It's been quite evident that uh, you know this has had you know a dramatic uh, impact on the debtor's uh, prospects. You know, it's essentially, the company is a you know, in many respects, a levered Bitcoin option. Um, so our cash flow is substantially better than uh, when you know we had forecasted under the initial dip budget, and we did have a very robust post petition. Um, DIP marketing process consistent with our fiduciary obligations And and so we have the unusual circumstance of presenting to your honor today a Replacement uh, debtor in possession financing facility um, a few notes about that um, One it was a good faith process. It was run open fairly and you know, we're, we're presenting evidence to that effect um, and it's with um, with our partner uh, B Riley um just a couple of notes on the company's relationship with B. Riley. So uh, B. Riley was uh, running an at-the-market uh, you know, type of equity raise um, you know, pre-petition. We also had a loan that was outstanding to them. We had significant negotiations with B. Riley leading up to the petition date about an out-of-court transaction, as we you know, highlighted in some of our, um, in some of our pleadings. Right. Ultimately, uh, we didn't get there, and I wouldn't always say that, listen, it was contentious, uh, you know, between the parties, but good spirit, good faith, but spirited, I would mm-hmm. say, is the, is the right way to characterize it, um, uh, uh, pre-petition. Um, you know, Mr. Riley, Riley's uh, firm then went on to the creditors committee. They're the chair of the creditors committee. Uh, they were not, they didn't, you know, get serious, they were not the alternative dip uh, financing provider. I think the con, uh, convertible note holders pleading that they filed this morning reference they were the alternative. They, that's not correct. They were not that alternative dip financing provider. But given that B Riley was on the creditors committee, I think the committee's done a good job. They made sure that uh, that B Riley was recused, uh, you know, kind of walled off from any dip financing discussions. And Wilkie Farr, who was counsel to B Riley pre-petition, they're the creditors committee counsel now. Uh, they uh, Riley brought in uh, choked as their dip financing uh, counsel, and assuming your honor uh, approves the uh, of Financing you know, I my understanding understand is they'd be stepping off um, The creditors committee at that point so um, I note all of that just to make sure that that you know I don't ever want you to think that we're not being anything other than open and transparent There, there was a relationship here but we have been completely down the middle and above board about the process and and how we're running this uh, today. Number one,
0: you know I appreciate transparency. The pleadings have told the story from day one, and for those folks who haven't read all the pleadings, I think what you've done this morning is just perfect. I think anyone who has an interest in the case could not participate and not know that there's a relationship there, so I, I very much appreciate your telling me. So let me ask, because at least as I read the pleadings, the replacement dip issue is really just down to the termination fee, right? Or are there other issues?
2: I think there's a couple of issues, Judge, that may be open. I think between the debtors um, and uh, B. Riley and the convertible note holders, I think we've resolved all of the issues. I think the Unsecured Creditors Committee and the ad hoc uh, equity uh, committee Committee have raised concerns around the termination fee that, that your honor would have to hear this morning. Right. Um, also, uh, just a note that, um, you know, in conjunction with this, prior to closing the financing, we would be terminating uh, the pre petition RSA with the convertible note holders. That's simply because, listen, we're, the company's not under any misimpression that we're not going to be working with, uh, we're going to be working with the convertible note holders. We are still firmly of the view and special committees firmly of the view. We need a substantial deleveraging as part of um, You know any kind of exit from chapter 11 that being said when you have this kind of change in value from the petition date And just given the splits that we saw under that existing RSA uh, you know our judgment was It's appropriate to sit down, reset, and so I want to make clear that the company still will and intends to have a good working relationship with the convertible note holders throughout these cases. We want to get to a consensual transaction, ensure the company's emergence uh, from Chapter 11. It's in the best interest of all stakeholders, and likewise, we recognize there's been a change in circumstances since we initially filed these cases, so... Uh, I just wanted to give that context and that assurance to the stakeholders that, that we're here and we're still calling balls and strikes. No, I got it. This is, this is
0: just the modern digital Sarko case, right? <laughs> we, were in, we watched, you know, we were in the money, out of the money, based on the price of copper, and this is just a, it's just a different commodity.
2: It's a different commodity. I agree with that analogy, Your Honor. Let me ask you
0: with, and again, not prejudice, Prejudicing anyone's right to get up and make whatever argument. So, as I have you done worst case, best case analysis of what the dip looks like with
2: different outcomes on the termination fee. Um, Your Honor, I'm going to have to defer to to Miss Berkovich on that particular question, but I think that. Um, you know our position on the termination fee is essentially listen we, we had we had a deal right. with with the converts the converts it's part of an initial order okay. we approved uh, the court approved it and you know our view is a deals a deal and you know we're here we're standing behind that right so let me so tell
0: everyone this and maybe it causes a change in how people are acting today how you know how they're what they're thinking about and how they're thinking is no question in my mind that I approved the termination fee. That was priced in, and it was, you know, and I complained about the cost, or I did it nicely, but I complained about the cost, but I also recognized the circumstances. What I, excuse me, what I haven't thought all of, way through this, you know, I spent the past three days up in your neck of the woods, you know, 18 hours a day, I just hadn't had time to work my way through this, is if there are changed circumstances, what discretion do I have to move the termination seat? The answer may be none. It may be that I have discretion and then it becomes a question of do I do anything or not? Again, Because I do operate from the premise that I assume that people rely on orders that I enter. And if it becomes a habit that I don't really mean what I say, then the process doesn't work. And I got all of that. That being said, is I thought it made some sense to tell everyone that I do believe that there's a termination fee that's part of the financing that I approve. Is it, yeah, we agree with is it somewhere between... Zero and you know, the the max fee that was that was under the financing, you know, I have my own feeling about that, but I'm certainly willing to I'm certainly willing to hear that argument if folks wanted to if, if folks wanted to to do that. I'm also a firm believer. You know, when I stood where you're standing, I like to control my own destiny. I didn't like the guy who knew the least about the case, but who would make the decision making you know, making the result unless I just couldn't get there. And so I as I was thinking through it, again, my thought was I would tell everyone that I do believe there's a termination fee involved in this. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's something less than the fifteen percent, yeah, I hadn't thought through I'm not going to take away anybody's right to make those arguments, Um, and what I was really trying to sort out is, is that something that folks want to say, you know, didn't think that Jones was going to do that, we want to talk about, think about, have a different argument on Mm -hmm. a different day, or do we all want to make the argument today, and, you know, we'll just, we'll just see where it goes. I I will go either way, I'm just trying to be fair to everybody, because Not everyone knows exactly how I'm thinking about it, um, and, and I'm talking to you, but obviously I'm talking to everyone. I understand. Um, so I'm, I'm more than happy to do, I'm more than happy to do that, I'm more than happy, I mean, I think the the first ish or the first item that's on today's docket is just easy and non-controversial. Mm-hmm. I didn't know if it made sense just to get that out of the way, so you know, if there are pending deals, those can... People can know that those are going to get inked and get consummated, and, and we can move on past that. Because it wouldn't, it wouldn't sort of move the case kind of money. I know it's real, and I know it's a lot of money, but it's not really move the case money.
2: Yeah, I think we'd always. All of our forecasts are assuming that that it is payable. Um, I think our uh, new kind uh, of proposed dip lender is prepared to you know to, to make sure that it's paid. I think that. Um, your question and parties will get up. I one I think we should decide it today okay. I'll say that and I think we should should deal with it. I do think that um, The court always has discretion what to put in an order here in this order You know, you said the listen. everything all the obligations and any feel fees that are paid or payable mm-hmm. are approved um, And then I think parties may look to you know, I imagine some parties will say well, listen under 364 the code once you make you know if we're making loans on that basis and a reliance on that 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 you know we would ask the the court to, to uphold that I, I imagine that will be some of the argument And others may say listen we we think you have discretion but I think that's where it's going to come down to is probably the the statutory reliance. Of, you know, telling everyone I
0: mean I again when I enter an order I expect people to abide by it until it's reversed I want people to rely on I also recognize, I mean, let me pick something that won't apply, but it's an example of what exists in the code. I mean, you've got a standard under 328 that I can approve a fee, and not that this is a fee, but I can approve a fee in advance, and then if there are things that I conclude that I couldn't reasonably have anticipated at the time, then I can change it. Mm-hmm. That's written into the statute. And so, again, not trying to take away anyone's right to make any arguments, do believe that there's a termination fee that's mm-hmm. factored into the cost of the dip. You know, Hanson's a good lawyer. He's going to listen to me, and I don't know if he wants to, you know, step out and you know, see if there's a small give to give certainty, or if he wants to roll the dice and see what <laughs> I'll do. I mean, you know, that's that's his choice. I'm just try, I'm choice. trying to give him information to the extent that I can. Yes, um, but happy to do that. But it is
2: I understand that that's really the only.
0: Issue, right? The only other
2: uh, sorry yeah. you're interrupted judge just the the only other issue I believe that's out there is that shortly before um, We came to court there was still an outstanding issue on the 506 C waiver and the 552 B waiver to the, um To the convertible note holders. Yep. We have language that basically what we the debtors have agreed to do um, as part of this order is that so long as there's a consensual use of cash collateral up through the termination Date of cash collateral that we would give a 506 c waiver during that time the logic of it being um, you know that if we were going to have a surcharge it would be you know someone could say well listen that's under an approved budget it would be roughly equal to um, you know that use of cash collateral at that time and so that would be a fair exchange of um, uh, for, for the consensual use of cash collateral I think the other side of it is just you know, how does that interact with any 507B claim that could be later asserted. And, you know, we see those as separate issues. Uh, we actually had the uh, the pleasure of litigating this in Sears up through the Second Circuit. And so we're, we have some intimate familiarity with it. I hope we never get there because that would be a bad outcome for the case if we're arguing over 507B claims. But um, we did resolve that, and I think the committee, um, and the share uh, ad hoc shareholders group still have an issue around that particular issue with is my understanding But they can tell you if there's anything else outstanding. We've been trying to uh, you can, you know, play I'll, the middle. I'll tell everyone
0: you know, my view of that is, is sure that those are debtor rights And I know that sometimes Debtors don't really have a choice and that's when I pay a lot more attention to it But when debtors are freely exercising their business judgment because they have the big deal of they, you know, we're, they're not, you're not just fighting issues, you've got to play the long game and you've got to figure out how to get to an end result as efficiently and as quickly and with minimum risk as you can. And, you know, if that's the evidence that I'm going to hear, I'm just going to tell everyone, again, I, I had someone make the argument to me that this is not a debtor right, it's a creditor right. And It was a long hearing and they lost me from the very beginning Uh, You know, it's one thing to say that it's a debtor, right? but the debtors can't exercise it because of Pick pick your issue that I get and I know that that exists because I've been exactly where you are and I've been told that if you want this you don't have any discretion and I, I know that goes on but when I've got a debtor in a position, in, in a position where they have not look, we've, made, we've thought through this, we've been down all the branches of the decision tree, and this is how we think our right ought to be used or not used, I'm going to pay an awful lot of attention to that. So again, you know, yes. I'm sort of talking to everybody on that.
2: Fair enough. Th- thanks very much, Your Honor. So... Um, you know with that I propose to turn the podium over to my partner uh, Ms. Berkovich and and give you some more of the specifics.
0: Absolutely. This. I want to give everyone else a chance sure. to make Sorry. opening comments and part of those comments could be you know, We'd like five minutes to think about what you've said and I, I'm certainly, I would certainly entertain that If it's, you know, we knew you were going to say that in one form or another we're ready to proceed And you know, okay. terrific because my mucinac is only going to last so long. Uh, you, you gave me a cold during my mediation. <laughs> but all, all just fine. Very so <clears throat> good Let me ask, anyone else want to make uh, opening comments? Okay. Oh, you know what I didn't do? Yeah. Yeah. Anyone Isn't on GoToMeeting wish a to make comments? Yes, Ms. Hardy, come on up. <coughs> Bill has actually turned on their video.
3: Thank you, Your Honor. Jennifer Hardy of Wilkie-Farr and Gallagher is the counsel of the Unsecured Creditors Committee. I just wanted to introduce some of my colleagues in the courtroom because this is the first time we've appeared as counsel to the Creditors Committee. Uh, We have um, Brett Miller, who I believe you know from uh, previous matters, Um, Jim Dugan, Todd Gorin as well. And um, as Mr. Schrock mentioned, uh, and as the court knows, B. Riley was a former client of Wilkie-Farr. So that's why we have Mr. Bruckner um, of Gray-Reed as Conflicts and uh, Efficiency Counsel uh, in the courtroom as well. So.
0: Always good to see him. Thank you. Honor. All right. Thank you. All right. There are no other comments? Uh, yes, ma'am. Did you want to come <coughs> up? Yes, ma'am. Very briefly, Noel Reed uh, for the
4: ad hoc group of equity holders. Yes, ma'am. Um, just wanted to introduce ourselves, we anticipate we'll be filing a motion for a appointment of an official committee okay. uh, within maybe the next 24 hours. Um, with me is my partner, Ron Meisler, uh, and one of our associates, Ms. Belts, and Mr. Panagopis may or may not be on the line.
0: Got it. had not seen him yet, but uh, obviously I know him and I welcome his participation. What I would ask that you do, <coughs> if you decide that you're going to, that you're going to seek official recognition, talk to everybody. Because I assume that's not a 30-minute hearing. (laughs) Um, Talk to everybody and then reach out to Mr. Alonzo and get a setting that, as much as it can, works for everybody. I assume that that will probably be an in-person hearing, but just have that conversation with everybody.
4: Certainly we will. And just for your record, we did file an objection to the original...
0: All right, no takers. Good morning.
3: Good morning, Your Honor. For the record, Ronit Berkovich from Wild Gottschall proposed counsel to the debtors.
0: We need to find a way to lower that screen, don't we? <laughs> lower the. I was just. Kind of no, no, no. I, I, this. That's my fault. Don't. I do have another option. <laughs> so it's really helpful. So now I have to tell you a story. So every year at Christmas time, I have a Cub <laughs> Scout come in and you know they're learning about the law and of course you know to a bunch of 9 and 10 year olds the law is the marshals come down and they tase one another and so they think that's super cool and I, I don't get them until after they do that so I, I bring them in and um, you know obviously this is a bankruptcy court and that's an impossible abstract thought so we have a criminal case and uh, there's uh, it's always a Santa Claus related thing and someone stole cookies and Santa's accused of committing a crime and so I have a little small person's robe and so we have a judge and then I get a couple of lawyers and they tell people what to say and they have an argument. And I have to put a box of copy paper right there for folks to stand on, which is what made me think <laughs> of that. And I had one I had one Advocate gets so excited that he fell off the box. <laughs> <laughs> there was a message to this, so please be careful. I will be <laughs> careful. And next, I'm
3: wearing flats. Next time, I'll wear my uh, foreign inch I'm gonna,
0: I'm gonna. I just hadn't noticed that before. I'll figure out a way to deal with that. I'll move it to the side or figure out how to lower
3: it. Um, thank you, Your Honor. I think we have an interim solution. Um, joining me today in the courtroom is John Singh from PJT Partners, the proposed banker to the debtors, roadie Block from Alex Partners, the proposed financial advisor to the debtors, and Russell Kahn, who's the head of mining and executive vice president of the debtors. Um, also joining us today… a the way to put him on. The I I, I, really I knew was. you'd like that. You mentioned it uh, from the very beginning, Your Honor, but unfortunately, as yes, I'll get to, um, so it's unlike, unlikely to need Mr. Kahn's testimony today. Um, also joining us online via Zoom is Michael Brose, the senior vice president of Capital Markets and Acquisitions of Core Scientific. Was our first day declarant. And we have a few other of our colleagues from Wild Goshel. We have my partner Ted Sekharides and my colleagues Jeremy Kane and Alex Cohen.
0: Good morning to the entire team. And, and if She left you out. She didn't mean it.
3: Did, did not mean it. <laughs> Your Honor, we filed a revised agenda, a Docket 426 today. We are very happy to be in front of you seeking approval for the proposed replacement interim DIP order and the terms for the consensual use of cash collateral. Um, to provide maximum notice of our change in circumstances, the second we had a deal, we filed the proposed order in the wee hours of Monday, January 30th at Docket 378, and we attached a red line of the interim order that was entered by this Court on December 23rd, which had been Docket Number 130, as well as the term sheet. <clears throat> um, B. Riley is, is funding under a term sheet, given the um, speed with which we needed to reach a deal with them. We subsequently filed our motion to approve the order at docket number 385. And while we had coordinated with both the ad hoc group of secured noteholders and the creditors committee prior to filing the initial order, we continued to work with those groups as well as our DIP lenders and our equipment lenders around the clock to make changes to the proposed order to get the consensus among all the parties. Um, Just about an hour before the hearing, we were able to reach a fully consensual deal between the debtors, the ad hoc group, and the DIP lenders, Um, so again, we have consensual use of cash collateral. I believe based on email discussions that the equipment lenders are also not objecting to the interim DIP order. They're reserving their rights with respect to the final order. As a result of those changes that we made in the version that we filed, and we have some extra copies of the black line in the courtroom in case people were not able to access it given the late filing, Um, we're not 100% sure, as Mr. Schrock said, whether any of the last minute, second changes would be acceptable to the uh, Creditor's Committee. Okay. And uh, the revised order was filed this morning at ECF 424. My my colleague, Alex Cohen, will walk the court through the relevant changes. So before I summarize for the court the benefits and terms of our replacement dip order, I would like to move the court to enter into evidence two of the three declarations that we filed on January 31st in support of our motion. First is the declaration of John Singh at ECF number 390, and second is the declaration of Rohde Block at ECF 391. As I mentioned, they're both in the courtroom today and available for cross-examination.
0: All right. Thank you. Anyone have an objection? Again, for purposes of today's hearing only, Mr. Singh's declaration at senior CF number three nine zero, Mr. Block's declaration at three nine one. Any objection? All right. They're admitted. Anyone wish to cross examine either one of those two gentlemen? You okay. All right. Thank you, folks.
5: Oh. Sorry, I just didn't see you. No, it's all right, Your Honor. So Chris Hansen with Paul Hastings on behalf of the Ad Hoc Group and the existing DIP lenders, Your Honor.
6: We would just reserve
5: to the extent that you permit the committee to put their witnesses on. With respect to comps, et cetera, regarding the fee, we would like to cross the debtor's witnesses because obviously they were declarants in connection with the original DIP. So if we're going to get in the time machine and go back to when we were here originally, we need to have them on the stand to walk the court back through. Their original testimony and of course we would like to elicit further testimony from them about the circumstances at the time the original i don't see a reason across them now but i wanted to make sure that you understood that if, if the committee does if you allow the committee to call its witnesses which we think you shouldn't but if you do then our position is that we may have questions for the debtors witnesses got it it
0: seems
4: an efficient way to proceed any objection Your Honor, Brett Miller, Wilkie, Farr, and Gallagher proposed counsel to the creditors Committee. We have no objection to that. We would just uh, like to be subject to the same reservation in case we do go forward on, uh, I'll call it a contested hearing with witnesses um, because Mr. Singh did have some testimony regarding um, uh, in-deposition regarding uh, uh, what exit fees might be reasonable.
0: Sure, and at some point, I, I don't want this to be... I don't want this to be in any shape, way, or form a surprise. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you the question, you know, I assume it's unreasonable. Now tell me why it is I because I, I have to put the process first. Tell me why it is having done what I did, even if you convince me that it's unreasonable. And it wouldn't take a lot. Why should I change it? You want me to start now? If you if you would like to, you're only going to get to do it once. So, would you like to hear everything that's said and then make the argument, or do you want to I'll, make the argument now? While uh, make their case and then. Go Fair enough. All right. Thank you. And you have the same reservation. Thank you. Yes, sir.
3: We did file a third declaration in support of the dip motion from Russell Can. That's a docket at three ninety two. But as I mentioned earlier, we will not be putting that evidence in today, given the equipment lenders. I believe their agreement to um, not to object. Uh,
1: do,
0: do you need? You said, given your belief, do you need to get confirmation of that? Or
3: there were many of them. We just filed a final order. If any of them were to, uh, I see Mr. Lohan, who's been sort of um, an informal leader for the group. I don't know if he has the views of everybody, but
0: Mr. Lohan, do you have your line unmuted?
7: I
1: believe I, I believe I do, Your Honor. Can you hear me? Absolutely. Good morning, Your Honor. For the record, Brian Lowen, on, on behalf of Bering. Ms. Perkovich is correct. Uh, we did file a limited objection on docket number two ninety one. Several other equipment lenders joined that objection, but uh, we think it makes sense given the positive developments in the case to just reserve our rights to the final hearing and, and really streamline the issues that need to be decided at interim, at, a, at this interim hearing. All right. And you know, we support entry of the order and are not pressing for an objection.
0: All right. Thank you for the announcement.
1: You. Your Honor, if, if I may, Dennis Toomey, uh, can you hear me okay? Mr.
0: Toomey, absolutely.
1: Thank you, sir. Thank you, Your Honor. Uh, good morning, and it's Dennis Toomey with the Office on behalf of 98 ABL LLC. Just confirming what Ms. Berkigich said. Uh, we also are not signing on objecting today, but do reserve our rights for the, for the final hearing. We do believe we have an agreement. We've spent a lot of time and thanks to Ms. Berkovich and her team, uh, over the last several weeks, we do think we have a resolution, um, and expect that we'll be, uh, be filed here in, in the next day or two on that. Um, and in the meantime, uh, we're not going to be objecting today and, uh, hopefully, uh, our resolution will ultimately get finalized and approved, and, and we won't be objecting to the final hearing. But in the meantime, we do ask that we uh, be permitted to reserve our rights for that final hearing. Mr.
0: Truly, thank you for the announcement, and absolutely.
1: Thank you, thank you Your Honor. All right. Ms. Berkovich. All
3: right, so, Your Honor, on the first day hearing, I, I told you, Mr. Schrock told you, that we would be seeking replacement dip financing, and um, that's what we've been doing for the last m- month plus, and um, working Kairos tirelessly to find financing that would eliminate the roll-up, eliminate the linkage to the RSA and related milestones, remove the restrictions on selling assets to improve our liquidity and provide overall better terms. When we entered into bankruptcy, the debtor's liquidity was in dire condition. um, And I can say that the original dip lenders, the ad hoc group, saved this company by being the only party at that time willing to provide financing. At the same time, you know, some of the terms of that DIP, and I, I, I it's been very well in our papers, really um, were not the most favorable to the debtors. So we were looking for a replacement DIP facility that could provide greater value to all stakeholders than that of the original um, DIP credit agreement. Um, we understand that the debtors' constituents other other than the prepetition-secured note holders are thrilled with our new DIP. Um, We've received no objections to it. We know that the creditors committee is supportive, they filed their statement at the ECF 397. The ad hoc committee of equity holders has told us they are supportive, and um, same thing with the equipment lenders. Our mar- marketing process for this dip was very robust, and um, the Singh declarations provi- declaration provides a great deal of detail about the negotiations with the various lenders we were talking to over the last week, but at the end of the day, the proposal that we were able to negotiate with B. Riley, our largest unsecured creditor was the superior proposal. Um, we kept all of our stakeholders informed throughout the process. Um, the, the major groups were not surprised when we reached a deal. We sent all of our proposals to the UCC and the ad hoc group and we, we were in touch um, throughout with the lenders as well. We did ask the ad hoc group whether it was willing to provide a DIP more in line with the terms of the D. Riley DIP. And while they were potentially amenable to improving some of the terms, they were not willing to go all the way there. So, unless Your Honor has any questions about the process, I would like to summarize the key terms of the DIP.
0: Please.
3: Um, it's actually a very simple DIP. One of the things we like about it, it's a $70 million multiple draw term loan facility. Today we're seeking interim approval for a draw of $35 million of that facility. We will use those funds along with cash on hand to repay the original DIP facility and for general operating purposes. And we did have a budget uh, attached to the proposed interim DIP order. The maturity is 12 months with a three-month extension. That compares to the six months with three-month extension we had under the original DIP. The interest rate is the same, 10 percent paid in kind. The exit treatment is, is um, total payment at exit is 105 percent of the then outstanding debt as compared to the 115 percent under the original debt facility. Um, we are permitted to use the net proceeds of any asset sale to, to conduct asset sales, and to use the net proceeds of any asset sales to pay down the dip, whereas that's um, permission was very restricted in the original DIP facility. No roll-up, no RSA link, no real milestones except for a final DIP order. And um, Your Honor, the, the one, I guess, negative of this new DIP is that we do have to pay the termination fee. And I'll get to a little more about our views of that in the end, but you did ask a question about how that impacts our liquidity, and I, I, I was passed a note um, by our financial advisor with the, the takeaway that the termination fee does not impact our cash or liquidity forecast, and also that the new dip is still superior to the old dip, even when taking into account that we have to pay these termination fees. Okay. Also these termination fees would have been payable at any time anyway for the refinancing of, of that dip, whether it's now or later. As noted in the block declaration, this replacement DIP facility will provide the debtors with the liquidity necessary to pay off the original DIP facility, fund payroll, and satisfy other working capital and general corporate purposes. And it is the debtor's business judgment that this is the best uh, DIP available. Um, as, As noted, we reached agreement with the ad hoc group over the terms for the consensual use of cash collateral. Their adequate protection package is, for the most part, similar to what we would included in the original interim order, replacement liens, 507B claims, and the payment of professional fees. There were some complicated issues relating to the different lien priorities by different parties over different assets and how that would all work by layering the DIP in there. The DIP is non-priming as to the existing liens, but taking a first lien in unencumbered assets. But we are grateful, again, to all the parties, the DIP lenders, the equipment lenders, and the ad hoc group for working through these issues to get to a final resolution. We do have an Exhibit 5 to the proposed order that provides an illustrative chart of how the lien priorities work with respect to different assets. There's up to six different liens that are applied to each different group of assets. And um, unless there has, Your Honor has any questions, before turning the podium over to Mr. Cohen, um I want to reiterate the debtor's position on the termination payment. We do not agree with the Committee's position. Those fees were properly disclosed to the Court and all parties in interest in both our written and oral submissions to the Court and were approved in the interim order. We also believe they were reasonable under the circumstances as part of the overall package of terms in the original DIP facility, which at the time was the only financing facility financing option available to the debtors. This was um, supported in the Singh Declaration. at. Docket ninety eight, your honor mentioned changed circumstances. There were no changed circumstances. We were in front of you like forty days ago, saying we want to find a replacement dip. If we find that dip in four weeks, these are the fees that will be paid. That's exactly what happened. And um, one more point, you know, I mostly represent debtors or firm does, and you know, I personally worry about the chilling effect to the ability of a company in distress to be able to get a dip loan, if. The blenders have to worry that what they negotiate with the debtor and approved, get approved by the court is is, is later subsequent to challenge. So um, those are our views. Does your honor have any questions?
0: I, I do. So I, I just I think what I heard you say, and I just want to confirm it, is you're telling me that the debtors exercised their business judgment in deciding to go forward with this, believing they were going to have to pay the termination fee.
3: Yes, your honor. Okay.
0: I, I got it. Anything else? Nothing else. Thank right. you,
3: Your Honor. Thank you. All right. Oh, good,
7: morning. Oh. Sorry. What? good morning, Your Honor. Alex Collins, Wild Garsho, and Melendez for the debtors. Yes, sir. Thank you. Morning. Uh, First, I want to say that that next time you do the the Boy Scout trip, I I would suggest that the Santa Obtains Replacement Dip Financing could be a a good topic. I'd be more than happy to write a problem for you. Uh, I'm going to keep that in mind. (laughs) Thank you, Your Honor. Uh, And second, I I, I always, whenever people walk through these orders, I I think it kind of gets a bit tedious to to go through every single change. So I think what's probably more useful for the court, and please correct me if if you disagree, is to highlight some of the the high-level changes
0: So I think I started reading, and then I stopped. Um, What I'd like to do, and you'll just have to take a deep breath because you'll know this far better than I do, is let me get 424-2 up, and then as you walk me through, if you could give me a page reference using 424-2, that would be helpful. And so I have it up. Okay. Where would you like to start?
7: So I think first, I'll note that it looks a lot Blue and more blue and more red than, than uh, the changes actually are. A lot of the changes are, are clarifying to, to make sure that some of them are defined term fixes, some of them are no, just technical corrections. Yeah. But I think the place that we should start is on page 15 of the red line. Okay, let me, yes. So mm-hmm.
0: I can go. Fifteen of one hundred one. That's right. Should be able to. Yep. It's this is the
7: top. It says cash collateral. Is that what uh, your exhibit shows? No, No, different page numbers. It's uh,
0: a. You want to see what I'm looking at?
7: There we go. If you scroll down to the next page. Yeah, down, down more, oh, 15 at the bottom, I'm sorry, I'm referring to page numbers at the bottom. There we go, 15 at the top. So this clarifies, there we go, the definition of cash collateral. Just clarifying the definition of cla- cash collateral uh, after discussions with the ad hoc group. Um, all parties agree with this definition. Just Minor changes to ensure uh, the proper scope. Okay. Um, next is uh, page 19 at the bottom. This deals with approval of the budget. So the ad hoc group has consent rights over the budget as well as the replacement tip lenders. However, if there's a a disagreement between the two parties, so somebody says yes, somebody says no to approving the budget, then the provision at the bottom and then the top of page 20 clarifies that in the event of a conflict, the judgment of the replacement tip lender would govern. However, the ad hoc group has the right to come back to court on an emergency basis to dispute any issues, and and Your Honor can hear them uh, in a budget resolution event. All right, the next page I go to is 21, uh, um, the last paragraph of page 21. This is the uh, 506C, 552B, and marshalling waivers. Here's a couple places throughout, but this is the first place, and as Mr. Schrock previewed, the 506 and 552B waivers are uh, granted, but to the extent that there's a, a cash collateral termination event, those would burn off. And there's a paragraph at the end of the, uh, the order to that effect. Make sure you reference that for me, if you would. Yes, Your Honor. Right. Um, the, and then the rest of uh, the changes on page 22 reflect that change as well. Okay, the next place I go it's page 28 of the red line at the bottom. This is clarifying that the debtors will, will pay all of the, the reasonable and documented fees of both the ad hoc group and the replacement DIP lenders, um, regardless of, of when they arose related to the, the DIP financing. Okay, next place is uh, top of page 30. This paragraph relates to any modifications, or amendments, or changes to DIP loan documents. Effectively, this limits the ability of the debtors and replacement DIP lenders from making modifications without. ASKING THE AD HOC GROUP AND IN CERTAIN CASES GETTING CONSENT OR IF if THEY CAN'T GET CONSENT COMING TO COURT AND ASKING YOU FOR MATERIAL MODIFICATIONS. OKAY. THE NEXT PLACE IS THE FOOTNOTE AT THE BOTTOM OF PAGE 36. NOW BECAUSE OF THE TIMING OF HOW THIS ALL SEQUENCES, THE REFINANCING WILL HAPPEN NO later THAN FIVE BUSINESS DAYS AFTER your Honor enters the order. So it, it there, there's a there's a small gap period in which we have to, to pay off the prepetition secured parties. And this provision clarifies that during that gap period, there are certain things that the debtors can't do. We're basically preserving the status quo under the original dip order. Got it. All right. Okay. And then next place is uh middle of page thirty-eight of the red line. This is another reference to the, the pay down and the refinancing within five business days of the entry of the order. Uh, again, this is this is all to protect the status quo um, in this gap period and also making sure that it's clear that adequate protection rights uh, continue. Bottom of 38, top of 38, or excuse me, top of 39. Um, this is the same, similar provision, except for to the extent that we're selling, that debtors are selling pre petition secured parties collateral, there are certain procedures we have to follow and making sure that. Um, to the extent they don't consent, that we have to come to your honor, or otherwise uh, follow the provisions of this, this interim order. So a lot of these provisions throughout, you'll see, we can't sell their collateral outside of um, the provisions of the order. There are certain guardrails baked in, and you're seeing that throughout on a lot of these paragraphs. The next is uh, bottom of page forty. Also relates to the budget consent rights. Um, the into the spillover, middle of page forty-one, says that notwithstanding um, anything in here that, that that dip professional fees, notwithstanding anything that dip professional fees will get paid even if there's uh, an issue with the budget, and also um, that the replacement dip obligations and dip professional fees are not included in variance testing of the approved budget, and then finally that the repayment the payment of replacement dip obligations. Is not in and of itself a cash collateral termination event this is again protecting against an issue uh, of a dispute with the budget next is a middle of page 43 you'll also see a lot of these provisions throughout and i won't i won't highlight it everywhere but this effectively what we did in the order is preserve the current waterfall as Ms. berkovich mentioned but layer in the um, addition of the dip liens and the dip obligations so that's a lot of these changes Page 13 or excuse me page 48 paragraph 13. Again, this is the mechanics of the refinancing. Um, you'll see a reference in the order of a, to a payoff letter and that's in process. It's almost done. There's, there's only a couple terms that are being discussed at this point so we, we intend to file a revised form of order with that attached as an exhibit. Um, right now we just have a slip page. but the parties are all working together on that payoff letter. Page fifty-eight at the bottom. This is uh, paragraph twenty. B as in Bravo. <coughs> five eight. Oh, this is a this is um this is more clarifying changes regarding uh the refinancing. Yep, and another the, the fifty-eight. There we go. So an- another thing that we we did to um to compromise and, and come to an agreement here is to allow that the ad hoc group the pre-petition secured parties have certain rights in the event of in the event of default or, or similar um, type provisions in this agreement we we spell it out in a couple paragraphs. And effectively if there's a cash collateral termination event, then it triggers a, a similar remedies notice period to a DIP and it's also the to the Southern District rules regarding coming in and trying to seek to, to lift the stay and you'll see that in pages 60 through 63. That's all that blue. Okay, next, page 73, we skip a lot of pages here. Page 73, and then it spills over into the next couple pages. This is all related to the challenge, and everyone's right to challenge, and and making sure that it's clear who can challenge what and when. Effectively, everyone has the right to challenge. Everybody else's liens, claims, obligations, Um, Basically, just preserving parity for all parties to have similar rights to challenge. Uh, You'll see that a lot of the the challenge provisions that we initially baked into the the dip order have not changed. This is mostly clarifying who can challenge what and when. Okay, Okay. Uh, next is page 80. This is again the, uh, the 506C 552 the equity of the case, and then the marshalling provisions. This is similar to what we discussed earlier, just flagging again that it's here. And, and then 28 into 29, excuse me, pa- paragraph 28, 80 and 81 pages, are respect to uh, credit bid rights of the parties. Clearly, okay, I mean everybody has the right to credit bid with respect to the, uh, the obligations that are set in this order. Okay, next is uh, page 83. Another protection against um, material amendments or modifications to the order or any documents. Again, if there's any dispute or disagreement, everything is is set out here in um, pretty granular detail. Okay, for I think there's only a couple left. The next is uh, page 95, paragraph 43. This is the the technology that that Mr. Schrock was referencing and we spoke about earlier that in the event of a cash collateral termination event that the the equities of the case and the 506c waivers burn off. And this last set of blue that you'll see paragraph 44 it's it's a lot meatier and and longer than actually is. It's, um, it effectively preserves intercreditor creditor rights with respect to certain rights, obligations, liens, et cetera. Everything that, that Ms. Bergovich and I have spoken about regarding the status quo but layering in the DIP obligations to make sure it's clear what happens to whom and who has rights over what in the event of any any occasion that could occur. So we try to take those protections in and, um, and preserve the status quo. And then the final portion of the, uh, the order is just um, setting a, a date for the final hearing. And we have a proposed date in mind, but I don't know if you'd prefer that we um, reach out to your chambers and schedule or if you just want to do it live.
0: What date were you looking
7: for? February 27th is what we were targeting. It's on Monday. Do
0: you have a time in mind?
7: Afternoon works better.
0: So I would have two twenty-seven at three p.m. Central available, if that works, and assuming that we get to the end today.
7: That sounds good, Your Honor. We'll uh, we'll put it in this order whenever we submit the revised. All right. And uh, nothing further. Thank you, Your Honor. All right. Thank you.
0: All right. Yes, sir.
8: Hello, Your Honor. Uh, my name's John
4: Ventola from Chota & Stewart, uh, counseled to B. Riley uh, in their capacity as a proposed replacement dip lender. I really just wanted to introduce myself to the court, Your Honor. Um, and of course, if you have questions, uh, happy to answer anything we can. Uh, my firm is new to this. We only got involved about eight days ago. Seems, seems longer, candidly. Uh, but uh, we've been working very cooperatively with the parties in interest to get to where we are today. And again, if you have any questions,
8: Your Honor, please uh, let me know. Number and one, welcome to the dance. Thank you very much.
0: To, um, I, I don't at present.
8: Okay, and I just want to confirm. Mr. Schrock mentioned
5: in his opening remarks, B. Riley's intention is, in fact, to resign from the committee if this is
0: approved. Yeah, that's kind of a given to me. So, I, but I appreciate you, thank you for saying that for everyone.
5: All right, Mr. Hanson. Yes, your Honor, Chris Hanson and Paul Hastings on behalf of the ad hoc group and the existing dip lenders. Honor, did you want to hear on the affirmative side or did you want to hear from the committee first from an argument
6: perspective and then no, I want to
0: deal I want to understand The evidentiary presentation you'll certainly have time to come back on argument and, But I want to understand what the committee is proposing to do and uh, Given the, where the record is now where they think whatever it is that they want to present is going to be persuasive So let me let me do that and then
5: Fair enough, Your Honor. And obviously we reserve because our view is we don't think they should be put
0: no, evidence on it. I'm to get this on before. the table because I want to yep. understand it. All right. Mr.
6: Miller.
4: Thank you, Your Honor. Brett Miller, Wilkie Gallery gallagher proposed counsel to the Creditor's Committee. Um, your Honor, uh, as, as you know uh, more than most people, um, it's your order. And Having spent the last three years in a case across the hall with Judge Isger, the Sanchez case, uh, we've been fighting over a dip order that is long since approved and have had multiple hearings, multiple mediation sessions. And at least here, we're only five weeks later. We're not three years later. And Judge Isger said something during uh, the multiple hearings that he wants to get it right. And there were a lot of words in the dip order there. And a lot of people interpreting the words how as favorably as they can for their party. Uh, here I think we have a little bit of a different scenario. Um, both sides seem to focus on 30D of the dip order uh, and whether the termination payment is actually part of the package that I'm sure Mr. Hansen will say was, Part of the pricing of the dip, uh, because I I disagree with the statement in the uh, the ad hoc group's pleading filed this morning that a finding that if we open up the termination payment provision and the the committee does not dispute a termination payment is can can be paid here. It's a question of the reasonableness, and that's that's so so uh, using the replacement dip as a basis and a fi, uh, I think. Uh, Ms. Berkowitz said, a 105%, I'll call it a 5% termination fee. That's about $2 million, whereas uh, the interim order included a 15% payment or $6 million. So we're talking about a $4 million delta here. Um, And if you look at the comps that are in the various, uh, in the declarations submitted by the committee, uh, 15% is out of whack. Uh, 5% is around normal. And I believe if we actually went forward and put our witness on the stand, it would be hard to find otherwise. And I think if Mr. Singh was put on the stand and cross-examined, he would find the same, because we've seen a dip comparison chart that he's prepared. So uh, to your point, the the 15 percent fee is unreasonable. And the question now turns back to how can we, should we, be determining whether an interim order that approved a termination fee on 24 hours notice without a committee being formed satisfies the requirements of Bankruptcy Rule 4001 c 2 Section 364, and perhaps most importantly, 30D of the interim order. Because 30D says two things. Well, it says multiple things, but, but two things that are highlighted, uh, one by the ad hoc committee and one by us. Uh, and I don't know if we can put that on the screen. You can actually, I think, use the uh, version that Mr. Cohen was just going through, because I think 30-D stayed the same. Sure. I, I,
0: I can do it either way. I can give your person control. I can put back up what we were just looking at. I think at,
4: which why, don't we, why don't we put back up what was just on? Give me just
0: 3
7: No change.
4: Paragraph yeah. use 30. 30D, I think, page 86. A really long order. So, the The ad hoc group in its statement focuses on two little i, the validity or enforceability of any obligation, indebtedness, or liability incurred under this interim order or the replacement DIP loan documents, etc. Question, was or is the termination payment incurred at the outset as opposed to the other fees that the committee doesn't challenge. They were the upfront fees that have been paid that no one is seeking to disgorge. We are simply looking at the termination payment. And as I said, it's approximately a $4 million delta from uh, what we think is reasonable versus what is being requested. But when you look at four little i, uh, it talks about or the payment of any fees costs, expenses, or other amounts to the replacement DIP secured parties, blah, 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 in the case prior to the actual receipt of the written notice of any replacement DIP agent or the pre-petition agent uh, 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 as of the effective date of such reversals, say, or modification, or decatur. I I really have to question whether the payment, these fees were not payable at the interim hearing. They are contingent payments that could, might, may become payable later. And quite simply, we believe that's the purpose of having an interim order and a final order two weeks, four weeks, five weeks later. Uh, That's what is intended by the bankruptcy rules. That is intended by the bankruptcy code. And where... The ad hoc group thinks this is going to turn DIP financing on its head. I actually think it's the reverse. Um, because how, if this is approved now, and the committee is basically neutered in any future discussions regarding reasonable, reasonableness of fees, then the next lender might as well throw in a 100% termination fee, because the debtor has no choice. I think what uh, Ms. Berkowitz said was that the, the fee was reasonable under the circumstances well and yes the circumstances changed and we understand that the debtor made the deal we don't dispute that the debtor cut this deal they cut the best deal they could do but they ran to court with a deal that upon scrutiny by a creditors committee upon if we were to put on witnesses they'd show it is unreasonable by approximately four million dollars then what is the purpose of a whole bunch of sections of the bankruptcy code and Laws and rules regarding finding things reasonable uh, before you use estate funds because the use that the approval of this will deprive unsecured creditors, uh, other stakeholders, other secured creditors of four million dollars because that's what this comes down to. It is a, I'll call it, a, a upfront a smash and grab of four million dollars here above what's reasonable. And what will happen, I think, is the next lender is going to do the same, and then after that the same, and before we know it, the chart that, that uh, our witness and Mr. Singh would put up of comps, it's going to be littered with 15% across the board, and that's going to become the new mean and median for uh, dip termination fees, and it really, really shouldn't be. because Today should be the day that it stops, and just like Judge Isger, you should say, I want to get it right and right is to limit the termination payment to what is reasonable and we would put on evidence, if asked, that something in the neighborhood of a $2 million payment is reasonable. And with that, I'll rest and I'll say, Your Honor, if I think we need to decide on the order first and if you completely disagree with me, which is your order again, then we will not put on any evidence. If this has opened the door for putting on evidence, or for Mr. Hansen and I going in the hall room and in the hallway and having a conversation, uh, then we're happy to do that because this uh, can be litigated, it can be settled, uh, but, but we, we defer to Your Honor. It's your order again, and uh, I just do think for the sake of the bankruptcy code and this case, um, we should get it right. Thank you. Thank you.
0: All right, Mr. Hansen.
5: Thank you, Your Honor. Your Honor Chris Hansen, I'm with Paul Hastings on behalf of the ad hoc group and the existing <coughs> funders. John, um, I'll start where Mr. Miller left off. It was not a smash and grab. The concept of that <coughs> ignores the reality of how the debtor came to this courtroom when it filed for bankruptcy. If you look at 4001c2, <coughs> you have to determine whether the debtor is going to be the subject of immediate and irreparable harm. And you have that from an evidentiary showing both in the Bros Declaration and in the Singh Declaration. You also had it um, based on the presentation provided by the debtor's council. Um, the debtor's council pointed out at that point in time that there was a single dip lender that was prepared to lend to this company. And if we look at that moment in time that the debtor filed, the price of Bitcoin, and, and you actually, Your Honor, step back for a second. You complimented the debtors on the first day on the persuasiveness of the first day declaration. And it was a great read because it explained the debtors business in pretty easy to understand terms and these are not the easiest businesses to understand Uh, Many of them have filed for bankruptcy. They do different things, but they are connected across the uh, I won't say I won't use it. They're they're connected uh, by their digital currencies Um, So the point being your honor that at the moment that the debtor found itself here Bitcoin was somewhere in the range of $16,000 and this business as mr. Brose's declaration pointed out is singularly tied to the volatility of that underlying currency Um, I I don't want to address the comps in the sense that I would like to cross-examine the witness if that happens And we'll go through them comp by comp but it's obvious that none of them are a digital currency business none of them are so singularly tied to the underlying volatility associated with the currency here. So the debtors went out. They ran a process. Mr. Singh pointed out in his declaration that there were 24 parties um, that they approached. They had nine confidentiality agreements executed. They had two uh, indications of interest, and they had one party prepared to lend. I think, as you can also divine from the motion that was filed to approve the dip financing, even the dip lenders, the members of the ad hoc group, they weren't all in on the dip. If you recall when we were here at the interim hearing there was going to be a syndication process run between the interim hearing and the final hearing to try to find more the debtors had asked for a higher commitment amount and the members of the ad hoc group didn't get there initially and the reason they didn't get there was the volatility associated with this company it's a pretty scary dip and so what you also have is endless testimony about the arms length negotiation and the good faith nature of those negotiations there was nothing there to demonstrate that there was a smash and grab or there was some type of untoward influence exercised over the debtor. You heard Ms. Berkovich just say it. The interim dip saved this company. Without that interim dip financing, again, go to the declarations. There, the, the debtor said that they had $4 million of liquidity as they entered bankruptcy. Um, I, we can ask the debtor if we get to that, if that number might have been lower as of the day that it was here in the court before it was able to get uh, authorization to borrow on the interim dip. And it borrowed right away on the interim dip. That money helped to save the business so that it could ride to where it is now. And really what's happened is the debtors have exercised their business judgment twice. They exercised their business judgment soundly and reasonably at the beginning to enter into the first dip. And now, given where Bitcoin prices are today, And no one, right, there is no forward curve for Bitcoin. It's not like the power curve. We don't get to look off into the future. We wake up every day. We wish there were one, right? Yeah, we wake up, seriously, we wake up every day. and, And these prices are up or down, and we really don't know where they're going. And sometimes we really don't even know what they're driven by. And so, Your Honor, the debtor is making another business judgment call. And that business judgment call is, I'm going to enter into a new dip, and I am going to repay the old dip which takes us back to where I was going to start, Your Honor, which is there's an agreed-upon deal. That deal was set forth before the court, and candidly, even Your Honor said, I'm aware this is expensive, but I am also aware of the volatility associated with this business, and I get it. And you said to the folks in the courtroom, most notably B. Riley's attorney, I hope you come back with a less expensive dip so uh, or a less onerous dip. And you know what? Those were circumstances that all were foreseen at the time that you approved the initial dip. And so the dip lenders, on my side, they made their commitment. They said, we will advance our funds based upon the documents that we've negotiated and the order that your Honor will enter that protects the promise that they made to advance those funds to the debtor. The debtor took those funds, moved forward, saved their business, and allowed them to come before the court with the motion that they asked the court to prove today. And beyond the multitude, you know, Mr. Miller likes to focus on 30D and says, let's singularly look at that. It's really important, and I'm going to come back to that in a second. But the entirety of the order, when you go through, there are only certain sections that say subject to entry of the final order, right? Those are things like the roll-up. Those were things like the 506C waiver and the waiver on 552B equities of the case. Things like that say subject to entry of the final order. But the, the other, and it's far too long, all these DIP orders are far too long at this point, but the rest of the DIP order itself is replete with provisions that say all of the DIP documents are approved, the obligations that are created thereunder are approved, the debtors are authorized to enter into those. This is an encyclopedic document which approves the DIP deal that the debtors enter into. But most importantly, those are also protected by the concept of good faith. And when you look at Section 364E, it's there for a reason. And your Honor knows that, and you've incorporated it into this order in multiple places. It protects the super priority administrative expense claims. It protects the priority of the liens. And it protects the underlying aspects of the dip financing in toto. And so when you look at 364E, parties have to rely on that. And to just put this one to bed, the order says whether it's overturned on appeal or otherwise and the or otherwise would be a collateral attack. Your Honor, we would go so far as to say that this order having been entered candidly based on all of the findings that were before it is a lot of the case at this point in time too. And to overturn that order, I I guess you'd have to prove that somebody defrauded the court or that somebody defrauded the debtors. The standard can't really be that, well, today, because the underlying currency that dictates the value of this business is 30 or 40% higher than it was on the day we filed, we should go back and tear up Um, and rewrite the promises upon which everybody relied when they entered the court in good faith. Um, Your Honor, I would also point out that if you think about it again, the circumstances that the debtors entered weren't just the lack of liquidity. In those declarations, you can look and see, they defaulted on their equipment loan debt pre-petition. They weren't paying anybody. They issued a press release. The way that the ad hoc committee was organized was they woke up to find a press release by the debtors saying that they were no longer in a position to be able to pay their equipment lenders and that they were they might not be able to survive as a going concern so the ad hoc group quickly organized to engage in negotiations at the request of the debtor and they did but during that time the debtors were not paying the equipment lenders and one of the equipment lenders actually accelerated and then crossed the fault of the convertible notes on top of that the debtors had as reported in their declarations an endless amount of unpaid loans on all of their construction facilities which resulted in mechanics liens so this wasn't like a debtor that the ad hoc committee had over a barrel and i think i pointed out at the first day to your honor the members of the ad hoc committee are the original purchasers of these notes This this is not a situation where Uh, you know, a a sophisticated distressed community is trying to take advantage of a debtor. These convertible note holders were hoping that they would be able to convert their notes into equity at some point and ride the wave of uh, great returns associated with those notes. So when again, Your Honor, putting things in the context that we have to look at them, which is where were we when you approved the dip and we entered this courtroom, um, the circumstances may be different today, but that doesn't allow us to overturn order that you entered based upon all the factors that everyone foresaw at that time. And again, I'm to come back to the point that this is not the business judgment of the convertible note holders that's being imposed on the debtors. The debtors, it was their business judgment to enter into the dip, and it's now their business judgment to eliminate the RSA and to move into this current dip. I, I, we don't, from an ad hoc committee perspective, we're a little bit nervous about that. Uh, We now have no way out of this case. We're all going to sit down and we're going to negotiate and see if we can get there. Um, But Bitcoin can go down just as much as it can go up. And the ad hoc committee is fearful that as the largest secured creditor and, you know, depending upon where values are, maybe a very large unsecured creditor as well, that we're going to suffer the risk of that volatility um, more than most. And so from our perspective, we understand. We chose not to fight with the debtors today. We said, fine, if you'd like to refinance us, honor your obligations, we'll negotiate an order with you uh, moving forward from a cash collateral perspective, and let's get to it. Let's try to find a way to get out of this bankruptcy case pretty quickly. So at a reasonableness level, um, the ad hoc committee and the existing dip lenders have been about as reasonable as they possibly can be. They extended credit, they saved the company, they allowed the company to get to where they are now. They've stepped out of the way to allow B. Riley to come in. They've negotiated a good order, and we're prepared to move forward. None of that is a record where this court should revisit its initial decision to put the dip in place, and that dip should be honored. And from a policy perspective, I, I couldn't disagree more with Mr. Miller. Your Honor, if the sanctity of an order is to be relied on, which is what we're all talking about here, it needs to be relied on. That's not going to turn around and let predatory lenders suddenly say to a debtor who might be an extremist, aha, I can charge whatever fee I want, and as long as I get it approved on an interim basis, I'm good. Because the reality is, there should be a competitive process that results in the debt that's being presented to the court. And you, Your Honor, if somebody walked in and said, I want a 100% fee, might say, you know what, creditors might be better off if this company liquidates. Benefit takes your dip financing and that's in within your discretion to determine at the time and your discretion at the time that this dip was presented to you was to approve this dip with its termination fee and when we go to the provision that mr miller looks at in the dip order just for 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 good purpose of going to that on paragraph 30 um, you go to d and it says in Romanet one I'm sorry, Romanet two, the validity and enforceability of any obligation incurred under the interim dip order or the loan, dip loan documents. The obligation, which is a fee associated with the repayment of something that's borrowed, occurs at the time that you enter into the contract that provides for it. So that obligation was incurred as of the time of entry. And obviously there's the whole point about the payments, which are protected by the good faith standard too, when they're made. So your honor, on that record, which was the record before the court at the interim hearing Um, and the arguments that are presented today, we ask that the court continue to enforce the interim order, let the debtors go where they need to go next and stop what's happening here and and let everybody rely on the sanctity of the order that you entered. And we'll see where we can get, hopefully get the case out quickly. We, We don't believe that evidence should be taken because we think putting in evidence would open up the evidentiary record associated with the interim order, which was closed and we would have to revisit that. But, again, Your Honor, we reserve our rights to the extent that evidence would be taken, not only to cross-examine the committee's witnesses and call the debtor's witnesses, but potentially to call our own. Thank Thank you, Your Honor. Yes, sir. Good
8: morning.
7: Good morning, Your Honor.
8: Good afternoon at this point. uh, True enough. I'm tempted to take Ms. Berkovich's uh, binder so I can get it a, a little <laughs> taller over here. Um, Your Honor, uh, Ron Meisler of Skadden on behalf of the Ad Hoc Group of Equity Holders, representing approximately 70 million shares, or nearly 20% of the outstanding amount uh, of shares, um, including insider shares. Um, Your Honor, we're going to be brief, uh, and that's going to be consistent with, uh, with what we're seeking generally uh, in these Chapter 11 cases. Your Honor, we support the Creditor's Committee's view. Uh, we heard what you said. The fee is unreasonable. A 544% IRR is unreasonable. Maybe it's punitive. Uh, one thing's for sure, it's an unfortunate use of money, um, and we recognize it's not material to the overall liquidity of the business. But we're trying to stay focused. Is it a good use of money? Probably not. Your Honor, we think that there's... Two, maybe three issues. One, due process. Fundamentally, it due process. They got it approved on December 22nd, the day after the petitions were filed. I wasn't here. Your Honor, the, my, my, the clients that I represent, they didn't have counsel to represent them. It's a due process issue. Maybe it's binding on the debtors. Maybe it's binding on other people that, that appeared in these cases. But Your Honor, we do think it's a, it's a due process issue. Um, your Honor, with respect to business judgment. Um, that, that's, a, that's a fair point, one that we acknowledge. But let's remember Judge Wiles' decision in Pacific Drilling in September 2018, no one objected to the fees associated with the rights offering. Nonetheless, Judge Wiles took the position that the fees were excessive, and therefore, he denied the request. Um, the other thing, Your Honor, quite candidly, Business judgment, did the special committee know specifically about the termination fee and what it would cost and the return to the lenders if the dip was replaced 40 days later? I don't know. But if they didn't, I don't really know how they could have exercised business judgment with respect to that punitive fee. Your Honor, the the other issue is, I think, as you had suggested at the beginning, thoughtful consideration of this issue including whether such an incredibly high rate of interest is enforceable under applicable law. I think for that reason, it's worth taking that break. Parties should brief it. We on behalf of the ad hoc group, we would coordinate with the creditors committee because if there's no reason for us to brief it, we won't.
0: So again, I I know you don't know me, your colleague does. When when I suggest taking a break, I measure that in terms of minutes,
8: not days. (laughs) Understood, Your Honor. If the minutes are sufficient for parties to brief it, that would be great. (laughs) If they're insufficient, Your Honor, of course, this group defers to your judgment. And with that, Your Honor, those are my comments and thoughts. Thank you. Thank you. you. All right. Let me do this. And, And
0: number one, I very much appreciate the arguments. I appreciate great lawyers. And it, it quite frankly, makes my job a lot easier when I don't have to round off the edges. Um, This is actually relatively simple for me. There are a number of competing concerns that, that drive everything I do. Number one, the process comes first. And if parties can't rely on the process, then given how fragile the process is and the responsibilities that you all have, then it doesn't work. This is not like being in district court with a plaintiff and a defendant. It's just very, very different. Uh, you've also got a huge number of involuntary participants who don't understand the process, who try and make sense of it along the way. And, again, my orders have to mean something. Um, I'm aware of what Judge Isger said in the Sanchez case. I've, I think I've mediated it twice. I understand the issues I understand what he meant when he said I just want to get it right and that's because he's interpreting various provisions that he put his name on and I, I know which provisions there are and this is so far field of that that it's not really a, a an appropriate analogy uh, of course we all want to get it right there, there's no other reason that we sit here I also want to make it clear about business judgment. Business judgment doesn't mean that I decide what I would have done. That's not the definition of business judgment at all. Business judgment is a party being well informed, recognizing the obligations that they owe, making a thoughtful, considered decision. You can exercise proper business judgment and be flat out wrong. It's the process that you go through that is the business judgment evaluation, and I agree with I agree with the comment uh, that was made. I think it was by Mr. Hanson. Is that business judgment has been exercised twice? Once when faced with a set of circumstances, the debtor exercises business judgment and says, "If I want to see tomorrow, here's what I'm going to do." It got that opportunity. It's now seen tomorrow. And it's rosier than perhaps it thought it was going to be obviously there could be a sunset today and a new day tomorrow and there could be a further exercise of business judgment uh, that calls into question the decisions that got made previously that's the whole concept of business judgment it's the process it's the thoughtfulness it's the being aware it's the being educated it's Making sure that you understand not only the issues that run in your favor, but those that run against you There's also another fundamental tenet that I just believe in just to my core And that's for for every action there has to be a consequence Sometimes those consequences are positive, sometimes they're negative Uh, The fact that the debtor has exercised its business judgment And I believe in a proper fashion There's a consequence to having Exercise that business judgment and it's the payment of that fee um, Again, you know, do I wish that I had Questioned it more. I mean, I I didn't like the deal when I got it. I thought it was incredibly expensive and I, I was just looking at it from Sort of an outsider's viewpoint. going, wow. Is this really where we are? Um, and I, I spent a lot of time talking to uh, my intern about how you actually view these things uh, and how you have to make a decision whether it's right or wrong. And I think I said it on the record. I, said, I also think I said, you know, I'm somewhat amazed about how folks are able to quantify risk given at least what I knew at the time. that I wouldn't know where to begin given where the market when I put all of that together, uh, again, it's parties have to be have to rely on my on my orders. If, if my orders are always subject to somebody coming in and saying something different, in an effort to get me to change it, then the process just fails. If I got it wrong, then I'll do a better job next time of trying to provide more avenues. I'll encourage the U.S. trustee to add this to the list of things that they look at when they look at these interim orders because that's the voice at that point in time that's speaking for those parties that aren't here. Um, I I just again I got it that it's six million dollars, but the process is far more important than six million dollars. Your ability to go out and say I have this order and Jones signed it and it's final is far more important than six million dollars. If Six million dollars turns out to be the price of success versus failure in this particular case and it's failure then I'm prepared to live with that because the process has to be bigger than any particular case so I am based upon the record that I've got based upon just looking at this um, I um, I endorsed the debtor's business judgment it's, it's made the decisions that it thought was appropriate under the circumstances that it now faces. Um, uh, again, I appreciate being walked through the red line. It, this is just a, it's a better deal. It's a more commercial deal and better is gonna pay the consequence of not having been able to get it the first time around, which I think that we would all acknowledge it wasn't available. So I'm um, again, and I appreciate the committee bringing it to my attention. It's a learning experience for me. I have no doubt it will be a learning experience and on the list of those things that the US trustee looks at on first-day pleadings uh, but I'm going to overrule the objection I'm going to approve uh, the refinancing the new dip you've got your hearing date I understand that there were a few more tweaks that needed to be made I assume that you will circulate them to all of the parties that want to see them and then you'll let mr. Alonzo know once that order has been uploaded is, is that correct <laughs>
3: Yes, Your Honor. Uh, You're back, on your back, back on my binder. Uh, that, that is that is correct. Um, we will uh, submit a revised order for the process that Your Honor mentioned. Um, so let me,
0: and again, just I know that you probably need that today. Yes. So sir. I want to tell you, I feel awful. I've got one more hearing, and then I see a nap in my future somewhere in <laughs> the courthouse. So if you would just make sure you coordinate with Mr. Alonzo, I'll take my computer home. I'll, I'll do it from wherever I am, but you need to make sure you talk to him because I'm not going to look for it.
3: Yes, Your Honor. And we, we, we understand the process and we will coordinate with Mr. Alonzo. And um, with you not feeling well, just two quick, uh, quick points. First, I want to make it clear for the record that just because we've terminated the RSA and we're... Um, we're not gonna keep our eye off the ball here, which is to try to get this company out of chapter eleven, but we're gonna try to do so with a good process and with input from all of our stakeholders. So that's our next next task at hand here.
0: I totally got that. Look, it's the it's the respect that I have for the entire room. You're all gonna do exactly what you're what you do better than anybody else. I mean, everybody's got a role to play, everybody's got a position and it's those clashing Value. I mean, he doesn't like where he is. I, I got that, but I also know that given his skill set, he'll figure out a way to maximize whatever it is he has. And I know that your team will do the same. I know that the committee's gonna fight hard for those folks who are probably currently out of the money or not not much in the money. And I again I've known I I, I don't know Miss Reed's colleague, but I do know Miss Reed. She's one of the finest lawyers I've ever seen courtroom, they're going to advocate for equity. It's exactly (coughs) what should happen, and I'll make the calls based upon the record that I get, hopefully the result that we get at the end of the day honors the bankruptcy code, it recognizes the economics both inside the company as well as in the industry, in the nation, whatever those happen to be at the time, and the process will work. It'll be transparent, and people may not like the result. No one says you have to like it. Have to be able to understand it and see through it. That, that's, that's
3: the goal. Agree, Your Honor. And um, there is one last item on the agenda. We'll keep it brief, and my colleague, Mr. Kane, will handle that motion.
6: Perfect. Good afternoon, Your Honor. Good afternoon. Jeremy Kane of Wild Goshland Manges, a proposed counsel for the debtors. Yes, sir. Uh, I'll be brief and I will not use the step. <coughs> I don't want you to be brief. I want to see your A game. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> your Honor, the debtors have moved for authorization to sell all of their Bitmain coupons free and clear of all encumbrances pursuant to section 363F of the bankruptcy code. That motion is at docket number 346. In support of the motion, the debtors have submitted the declaration of Mr. Russell can at docket number 393. Uh, This motion has been unopposed, and we think that it's non-controversial for at least three reasons. First, the debtors do not plan to use these coupons, which are only valid for a specific model of Bitcoin miners from Bitmain. Second, if no action is taken, all these coupons will expire worthless in the next two to three months, with the vast majority expiring on March 22nd. Uh, The... Um, the third reason is that if the motion is granted, the debtors will have an opportunity to sell these coupons on the market if they move quickly and they've made the business judgment that it is prudent to do so. Um, at this time, we move to admit the declaration of Russell Can in support of this motion, docket number 393, and Mr. Can is available here today and is available in case the court or other parties have questions.
0: All right. Anyone have an objection to the admission of Mr. Can's declaration found at docket number? Then it's admitted anyone wish to cross-examine mr. I have, I have such an inclination to call it but I And <laughs> uh, I take it no one else is going to either all right then with that uh, I'll accept mr. Kahn's tec- uh, declaration I have read the declaration at 393 I appreciate the argument you said exactly what you needed to say in the last sentence is to practical applications business judgment if we do nothing it's worth nothing if we do something then we maximize value <coughs> yeah. that's right all right anyone else wish to be heard all right again I find the request relief just makes good practical sense we all wish you could get more but I understand that uh, market is what the market is for these things I think it's a good decision I'll grant the motion I want to make sure I got did we have revised form of orders or
6: was it just the
0: original order was submitted with the motion. I believe it was
6: just the original form of order that was submitted with the motion.
0: I will get that signed and on the docket. I've got a noon which I, I need to deal with, but I'll, I'll get that done um, early afternoon. Thank you, your Honor. All right. Thank you. Anything else we need to address?
3: Nothing else, Your Honor. Thank right. you very much for your time.
0: Thank you. Let's just one thing. committee see things coming down the pipe that we need to plan for.
4: I just want to make sure you have access if you need it. Uh, Your Honor, Brett Miller, we'll the committee. Uh, because the ad hoc group is not the dip lender, therefore the immediate challenge deadlines have been removed from the <coughs> new quarter, so there will be time to uh, look at some of the things that we outlined in our uh, initial objection, so there's nothing timely other than getting up to speed and hopefully watching Bitcoin go up to 100000 yeah, That would be great. Um, and I assume that Everyone's working together on exchanging
0: documents and making sure that the committee has access to those things that it needs.
4: Having spent the better part of 30 years working opposite while and members of this team, as well as Mr. Hansen and his team for a long time, everything has gone very smoothly, very professionally, and there's been no complaints over that. Sure. here if you need me. And again,
0: Ms. Reed, just to reiterate, when you folks are ready, just coordinate with the major. Constituents, reach out to Mr. Alonzo, get your hearing date, and uh, we'll, we'll take that up uh, just as soon as you're ready, okay? All right. Then, everyone, I've got a new hearing, so I'm not going to step down. Uh, please, as
7: expeditiously as you can, gather up.